Good morning. Welcome to our third episode of One Digital Debates. In this series, we put One Digital experts head-to-head in friendly debates about hot topics in workforce management. In this episode, we'll be tackling the elephant in the room as America jumps into this year. Should employers prepare for a major recession? My name is Jenny Vidal. I'm an HR client executive at One Digital, and I'll be the host and moderator for today's conversation. Let me start off by introducing our two debaters. Our first expert is Michael Esselman, and he will be arguing that employers should indeed be preparing for a significant economic contraction. Michael, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Jenny. And uh, I think just as a little bit further of an introduction, maybe I'm I'm a senior member of the investment team at One Digital, so I get to spend all day, almost every day, thinking about the markets and the economy. So, needless to say, it is not it was not a boring year last year. I'm hoping for a little bit. Uh, boring times going forward. But I also realize, unfortunately, I'm going to be arguing the recession. Uh, So I'm going to expect to get the most booze from that. But hey, that's what happens when you draw the short side of the straw, so to speak. So (laughs) good to be here. Thanks for being a good sport, Michael. Uh, Next up, we've got Brad Towson. He'll be representing the opposite side and arguing that fears of a severe recession are overblown. Thanks so much for being here, Brad. How about you tell us about a little bit about yourself as well? Hey, thanks, Jenny. Yeah, so uh, my name is Brad Towson. Been in the industry for 23 years. Started out on Wall Street with Morgan Stanley. Spent 15 years there. Built a business. My my day to day activities has been actually dealing with clients, with individuals, mostly with business owners. So I have I'm constantly in contact with either current business owners or former business owners. So I feel like I've got some. Great stories today, and uh, maybe I can shed some light on what those guys are feeling for the future. Thanks, Brad. Well, as as they indicated, um, both Michael and Brad are from our um, retirement plan investment side of our business, so certainly deep expertise in this space, and really excited to hear you guys get into it on this one. So uh, before we begin, let's explain to all our listeners really exactly what's going on today. So in a moment, we'll start off by having each participant give a brief opening statement that outlines the major arguments in favor of their chosen position. After that, I'll be asking a series of questions about this year's economic forecast and its likely impact on American businesses to both of our debaters in order to really guide the conversation and give them the opportunity to address each other's points head on. Uh, By the end, it'll be up to you, our listeners, to decide who you think is right. So to start things off, I'm going to frame this topic with a little bit of context, um, and then I'll hand it over to our two experts. So despite many predictions of a post-COVID boom, 2022 was actually a rather lukewarm year for the American economy. Leading indicators have shown a muddled picture of the country's economic health. On the positive side, unemployment has lingered at historic lows, and the number of open jobs has been at an all-time high. In fact, Optimism about the job market is so high that a recent report from Robert Half found that 46% of American workers plan to look for a new position in the first half of this year. On top of this, consumer spending has remained relatively strong. I don't know about y'all, but my Christmas spending is maybe an indicator of that um, throughout the last year. And these are usually understood as indicators of a pretty robust economy. On the other hand, the flip side here, as we all know, Americans have been experiencing the most significant inflation in 40 years. Costs have risen enormously for consumers and businesses alike, forcing the Federal Reserve to hike interest rates in an attempt to stabilize the situation. 
This inflation is made all the worse by the fact that the economy as a whole has essentially been treading water with a slight decline in GDP during the first two quarters of 2022 and really only modest growth in the third quarter. On top of this, the labor force participation rate is not yet rebounded to pre-COVID levels, meaning that the country's three to 4% unemployment rate may not actually be as healthy as it appears. With all that in mind, our job today is to try and understand what type of environment employers should expect this year. We launched a LinkedIn poll from the One Digital account on this topic in December, and the results were pretty clear. Over 400 people weighed in, with 63% of respondents saying that employers should prepare for a major recession this year, 20% saying they should not, and the remaining 17% undecided. So now, Brad, Michael, it's up to you, our experts. To see who gets to give their opening statement first, we are actually going to engage in a very intense game of rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> Brad, it. Michael, take over. Okay, just, just to clarify, is it one, two, three, and then we shoot, or do we shoot on three, Brad? Shoot on, shoot on three. Got to shoot on three. Okay, We're I'm establishing ready. the game rules here. I like it. Here we go. One, two, three. Oh. <laughs> it's a tie. One I more thought time. for sure you were going to do rock. I, you, yeah. You've had time to plan for this. So let's I'm messing go. with your mind right now. One, two, three. Ah, uh, you yeah. got it. All right. Michael, I'll, you're up first. I'll kick us off, Jenny. I think, I think to start off recognizing like what causes a recession is key. And you've talked about some of the, some of the challenges the economy's facing, but a recession can be caused by a lot of different factors and situations. But at the end of the day, we're talking about anything that causes friction, material friction to the economy. So anything that slows down this economic machine, so to speak. So when you look at some of the frictions today, and you've actually mentioned a few of them, inflation we haven't seen in decades, 10,000 baby boomers retiring every day, which is affecting the labor force. We've got a wide labor and skill mismatch. So some of the jobs aren't being filled because of lack of skill in the general population rather than just, you know, uh, nobody's there to apply for them for different reasons. Um, reorganization of the global supply chain is underway, which is causing material friction. And we could go on. And then you add on top of that, the Federal Reserve, which is raising interest rates to levels we've not seen in years. And there's a there's a saying, don't fight the Fed, don't fight the Fed, meaning don't fight the Federal Reserve. And the reason is, is because when they're pumping money into the economy and lowering interest rates, it works. It gets the economy going. The flip side is they're taking money out of the economy and raising interest rates, trying to essentially throw sand in that economic machine and slow it down. And when they do that, it generally works. So given all of that, I don't see how we avoid a recession in 2023. So there's my opening statement. Thank you, Michael. Brad, what are your thoughts? Uh, I think Michael's got a lot of great points there, and I think he's he's on point with a lot of that. Um, but I think we all need to get in our heads or to recognize that 2020, 2021, and for that matter, even 2022 have not been normal by any stretch of the imagination. So when we look at when that, that word recession, I feel like it's getting overused and I feel like the connotation that comes with that word is probably not fair or correct in a lot of senses because yes, recession means slowdown. I am a, we always are gonna revert back to the mean sort of guy. 
And I've always felt that way. And and when you have years that are outstretched like 2020 and 2021, you're going to you've got to have some sort of a revert back to the mean. So by technical definition, yes, maybe maybe you do call it a recession. But I think that the point of this this uh, podcast is, is should we prepare for this and should this be a, a big alarm going off? And I, I don't think so. I have, I have specific stories that we'll get into in a little bit that shows that, yes, prices, inflation has gone up. I would ask your poll that I would have probably asked another question. One, what do you think is going to happen? But more importantly, the second question is, how do you feel? And, and I think when I talk to people is, how do you feel? Well, the what do you think? That's what everybody reads. And, and so they begin to think what they read. But when I talk to people and I say, well, how do you feel? How's business? You know, they kind of look at me and they kind of want to put their head down because they're a little bit embarrassed. They're like, business is great. So, yes, there are a lot of problems and we're always going to have problems. But the way that we track our progress is through GDP. It's the collective value of goods and services, right? And we, if, if you go back to 2018 and look at the 2018 value of GDP and apply an average 3% growth rate on GDP over until now, we're right where we should be. Now, we had a massive downdraft in 2020. We had a massive upswing in 2021. And we're going to go down a little bit for 2022. But when you draw that trend line, we're sort of trending at 3% if you go back and look at it over time. It's, I don't think anybody could debate that it certainly has been a wild uh, wild ride the past few years, guys. So um, thank you for that. Let's, let's really dive in here. And I think first off, I'd like to really hone in on the mixed bag of indicators that we mentioned a few moments ago. So these may seem confusing to many listeners. After all, it's tough to objectively weigh the pros of a hot labor market and strong consumer spending against the cons of high inflation and weak GDP growth. Another variable to consider is the series of tech layoffs that have occurred in recent months with companies like Twitter, Facebook, Netflix, Amazon, shutting tens of thousands of employees. So, Michael, starting with you, what are your thoughts? What do you really make of these types of signals? Yeah, thanks, Jenny. And for me, the leading indicators are no longer mixed. As we look at them, you know, some of those leading in indicators you mentioned, other ones, housing permit applications, retail sales, truck shipments, et cetera. So if you go back to June, end of June 2022, and you look at, we, we really look at 12 leading indicators. At the end of June, six were green, meaning trending up. The economy is doing well. Four were yellow, which is getting kind of a caution signal. But only two of those were red. And when a, a leading indicator hits red, it starts to indicate a recession is imminent or we're in a recession. Looking more recently, there are two green, two yellow, and the other eight are all in the red territory. So for me, the leading indicators are no longer mixed. We are clearly, at least from the data, heading into a recession. I want to talk about two other things you mentioned. You talk about the, the strong consumer spending. As Brad kind of talked about, 2020 and 2021 was definitely different. Part of that difference was the government pumped about $2 trillion into consumer pockets. 
if you think about all the spending, it was about four and a half trillion, but two of that went directly to the consumer. So that's that's pumping up consumer spending. Our economy is driven by the consumer. And you probably remember receiving direct deposits uh, for most of us, checks in the mail, whatever it was. That's a nice inflow of spending money. And some of that was saved. But if you look at it now, we estimate about half of that has been spent and the other half will be spent by about mid 2023, about the middle of this year. So the slush fund is running out. And so that strong consumer spending, we expected to start pulling back as some of those bank accounts can continue to dwindle. Second, we've already talked about inflation, but it is really starting to hit incomes. You can see that in the numbers. The household debt increased at the fastest rate in 15 years. Credit card debt is also up 15% from a year earlier. And this is a little bit of a controversial subject, I know, but if you think about federal student loan repayments, they have been frozen since COVID. We'll have to see whether they're forgiven or not. Some of them may or may not be, but not all of them will be. Those are slated to turn on in June of this year. That's going to be another hit to the consumer. So as kind of if we, again, arguing the pro-recession standpoint, that's a real challenge to the consumer spending. And then lastly, I kind of want to talk about the uh, the hot labor market, right? The strong labor market. And it is. Unemployment's low. It remains low. Most people out there, again, if they're looking for a job, can find one. But we still have that 10000 retirements occurring every month. The labor force participation, which you talked about, is down. We don't think that's necessarily coming back. Child care costs have increased. A lot of people are starting to take care of elderly parents, et cetera. And then that labor force mismatch. I mean, you can't find an auto mechanic right now. And that's why it takes three to four months if you uh, unfortunately are in an accident to get your car fixed, right? That's that's not a people issue. That's just, we're not training people to, for those essential skills anymore. So so yes, low employment, employment, but this is also a sick job market in many ways in my mind. And, and the example I'll use, I'll, I'll tell one story. The best curry in town is right across the street at this restaurant called the Asian Potato. I love it, it's phenomenal. Unfortunately, they are no longer open for lunch. So I can't go over and get my favorite curry anymore. Now that may or may not be healthy for me, uh, but I don't think it's healthy for the economy. And so as we see these changes, I think, again, that's causing friction and some drag. And so, yes, healthy labor market in some ways, but I also think it's somewhat of a sick, sick labor market. Yeah, that's great, Michael. Thank you, Brad. You know, on the flip side, what are your thoughts on some of these these signals that, that we've been talking about? So I think you've got to divide this up. And, and when we're talking here, too, about recession or no recession, as we all know, there's always something to benefit. If, if there's certain people are going to go through pain, certain people are not, whether it's a recession or not. But the you alluded to it, Jenny, in your opening remarks there of the layoffs and every single one of those companies that you alluded to or said were tech companies. They're not really making anything. And I, you know, I don't want to offend anyone that's going to listen to this, but if you're not making anything, if you're if you're in marketing, social media, yeah, guess what? You got tough times ahead. Google for Alphabet, for example, from 2018 to 2021, their workforce grew by 60%. Amazon, 
They went from 647,000 employees in 2018 to 1.6 million right now. They've grown 150%. Meta, favorite company, right? 35,000 employees to 72,000 employees, 100% increase. Guess what all those companies have in common? Their stocks have gotten obliterated this year because higher labor costs, right? So, so one is the, the sector that they're in, they're the high growth, they're taking all their earnings, they're leveraging that capital, and they're going out and spending that capital, whether it be on labor or, uh, or on product development, but in these types of markets where things get a little tougher, those companies are going to suffer. Now, let me give you two other ones that I looked at. Walmart versus Target. Target has increased their workforce from 360,000 to 450,000, a 25% increase. Their stock's down 40% this year. Walmart, 2.2 million employees to just 2.3 million. So they only increased by 4%. Walmart stock is flat for the year. So there, there is this relationship, I think, to the companies that in 2020 and 2021, the companies that were making all of these profits from, as Michael alluded to, these checks that were handed out, those checks were then turned around and, and basically endorsed and handed to these companies. If these companies did not get out over their skis and went and continued operating as normal, those are the ones that right now, I don't think they don't have anything to worry about. They have not overlevered themselves. They have not overhired. I mean, wages have gone up. The, the two biggest factors right now in inflation are wage inflation and, and energy. You know, wages needed to go up. I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue on that side all day long that a well-funded economy is based off of the 80% of the people that reside in the middle of the capital structure. We need those people to have honest, viable wages so that they can go out and create lives for themselves, spend capital, do things, and that's going to benefit everybody. So we talked earlier about GDP. I'll talk a little bit about profits Here's another thing that is is kind of getting missed in all of this. The S&P on average, and again, let's go back to that term average, right? Because I always believe we revert back to the mean. The, the S&P's net profit on average tends to run between 8 and 9% a year. In 2020, it rose to 12%. And that's because we had this massive layoff of people. And profit and money was flowing in at record rates. 2021, it went to 11.5%. So it declined a little bit. But we're still 40 or 50% above what we would consider a normal profit margin for these businesses. So, again, to, to that point is the companies that I think, and I call them the ones that if you drop it on your foot, it hurts. If you're making stuff and you've been making stuff, you've had your challenges over the last two or three years. But if you didn't go out and, and balloon up with lots of expenses and employees, you're sitting just fine right now and you're making a lot of money. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a great point where I think we, we've talked a lot about kind of the past few years and, and this kind of very intense pendulum swing that businesses have, have been 
working through. And, you know, I think conventional wisdom really says that economic uncertainty is bad for business, right? The debate over whether there'll be a recession this year is is really an excellent example of that kind of uncertainty that's still just kind of carrying through. Traditionally, this type of environment would prompt a reduction in spending and investment. Um, I know, Brad, you alluded to that a little bit. Um, hiring freezes, other conservative measures, right? Businesses just really locking up their, their finances. Um, however, I'm wondering, do you guys think that this rule of thumb still applies in today's world? And really, after the unprecedented events of the past three years, are employers still delaying big decisions? Are they still acting in a cautious manner? Or have they just abandoned all hope of a return to normalcy and they're just adapting their business strategies to kind of this strange new world that we live in? Michael, what do you think? Yeah, thanks, Danielle. I'll comment on that. I do want to just briefly touch back on Brad's point. I think he has some good points about um, labor and certain types of businesses. But I will stress the technology layoffs are high paying jobs. And when those high paying job earners start to pull and tighten their belt, it does flow through to restaurants, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it does trickle down. And that's one of the things we'll be watching is, does the layoff stay contained to the tech sector and not start accelerating into the industries? And that will be a major telltale going forward in terms of the recession. So going back to the uncertainty and what businesses are facing, I mean, look, in the long run, every business to survive has to adapt has to make changes. And that has certainly been forced on, I think, every type of business out there over the past two years. So I don't think anybody that is still doing business the old ways, whether it's changing how they attract labor or changing how they service customers or changing where people work, right? Every business out there has had to adjust those. And I think the last two years have been a great um I think challenge, but also training ground for businesses to deal with uncertainty going forward. And so while I'm sitting here arguing for a recession, and I do think there will be a recession, a meaningful recession this year, I don't think businesses are sitting still. They're certainly taking action and adjusting. Um, now, what that looks like going forward will have to be different. And I think we're starting to learn some of that on the labor side. I think businesses will have to adjust differently because some of the programs that were implemented because of the COVID crisis are going away. The consumer is changing how they interact. So I think all that will happen and businesses are doing that. But again, I go back to changing business models creates friction for the economy. In the long run, going to be great. That's important and critical. In the short run, though, that can cause challenges. And I think we will see that over the next year. But certainly businesses will have to keep keep changing going forward forever. Yeah. Brad, what do you think? What are your thoughts on, you know, how businesses are, are adapting or not adapting to this current uncertainty? Well, to the people that I'm talking to, I, I'm not sure that they've changed. I think that they've struggled. We we don't have a demand problem. We have a supply problem. The way, I mean, markets, whether they're public or private markets work, is it's, it's supply-demand. If you have one person wanting to buy and 10 wanting to sell, the buyer is in control. Prices go down. Conversely, 10 buyers, one seller, prices go up. In a normal market, you have some four or five buyers and four, five or six sellers. And, and that's what creates a normal, efficient market where you don't have these extremes. Well, what we had here recently is we had a normal market. We had 
the four or five buyers. We had the four or five sellers. The problem is, is the sellers couldn't get the stuff to sell. And again, I think it's important to to let's let's classify these businesses, right? I mean, if it's tech or some some sort of service, that may maybe never comes in. That's maybe never revenue, right? So when that got when it couldn't get provided, it's gone. A restaurant. You, you can't go make up for meals. So that's gone. But when you look at people that are supplying real stuff that makes the world go round, those are the items that we've had a hard time getting that I still see tremendous backlog. And the, and again, um, I'm a, I'll tell a story. I was sitting with a client of mine last week and he owns an electric supply business. He does commercial and retail. His net profit every year after he's paid everybody tends to run about $800,000 a year. 2021, his net profit went to 1.4. 2022, 1.8 in net profit. So I asked him, I said, that's great. What's next year going to look like? He goes, even better. And it's not, and he, and I said, well, what's the, or is your inventory stacking up? He goes, no, not, he goes, we used to have to compete with other suppliers in the business. And so when a buyer would call, he would say, how much is it? He goes, now that's that same buyer calls and says, do you have it? Mm-hmm. Whatever the price is, do you have it? And I said, well, how long till you get back to, to the, well, how much does it cost? He goes, I don't know that we will. Because there's so much demand in this particular employer. I said, how many people have you hired? He goes, not a one. He has remained flat on his employment throughout this whole phase because there was no reason to hire people. He couldn't get, I mean, it it was like he couldn't get the product in. It just prices went up. Now, again, we're talking about today. The, The variable in Michael and I's arguments here on both sides is, one, there is only one variable and it's the Fed and it's wh- what do they do? And I think we're all trying to figure out what do they do? And that's the uncertainty that you talked about earlier. So, yeah, there are challenges, but have employees changed their habits? They're probably cautious right now. And that's the whole back to your question, too, of what do you think and how do you feel? A lot of employers do think that recession is looming and they are beginning to think about what that world would look like, but it's the, how do you feel? And they go, you know, we're doing pretty good right now. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because as we look at what kind of creates these perceptions for employers, really one of the things that pops into my mind and I, you know, I, I want to get your all's input on this as well is the media. So, you know, and and how they're kind of driving this narrative. And so in October, Bloomberg actually made headlines by stating there is a 100% chance of a recession occurring at some point this year. That's pretty, it's pretty bold statement, right? So while this assertion is, is particularly extreme, we've seen many kind of similarly negative forecasts from very credible organizations over the last several months. So Michael, Brad, I mean, do you guys think that pessimistic predictions like these are kind of going to turn into these like self-fulfilling prophecies or do they create more of that boy that cried wolf effect? Michael, I'll start with you. Uh, Sorry, Brad, go ahead. 
I was gonna. I was just gonna say, tell me, tell me what business again Bloomberg is in. Are they selling newspapers, subscriptions? They're a media uh, organization, right? That's right. So they need you to. They need to capture your attention. They need to get you. I, the word recession again. This is this this is what I'll kind of circle back to is. What if they publish that same headline with uh, we're going to get back to normal? The, the economy is going to get back to normal. Same thing, in my opinion, it's the same thing because, yes, a recession by definition is two quarters of contracting growth in GDP. You know, that's and we we will have or probably are going to have some sort of a contraction in GDP, but we're getting back to normal. We're just getting back to where we should have been, where we should be right now. Had 2020, had we not had that major dip, 2021, had we not had that major spike and just had our little 3% a year growth, we're right where we need to be. So uh, Bloomberg is is capturing your interest and your attention and uh, pound the table on recession. Eventually, yeah, you're going to be right. But is this something that we should all be scared of? I don't think so. So, uh, Michael, I feel like you might have something to say to that. What, what are your thoughts in terms of how, you know, these types of, of media stories should be interpreted by the business community? What, do you, what should they do with it? Yeah, well, first of all, I'm going to agree with Brad. Like, neither one of us think anything is 100% in terms of an economic outcome. That's, that's, that is headlines being headlines. I mean, that's the reality, right? Trying to gain eyeballs. I also think it's it's worthwhile to make sure, you know, we look at our own bias because whether we're more optimistic or whether we're more pessimistic in terms of any situation out there, we tend to latch on to the headlines and the data that support what we already believe rather than taking a step back and looking at it from a neutral standpoint. And that's a lifelong endeavor to do that. But certainly the, the media companies know that, which why they you know, cater to their audience. However, headlines do affect psyche. And so if you kind of go back, there's something called animal spirits that we use, this terminology we use in the investment and economic uh, uh, industry. John Maynard Keynes was really the one who came up with this. And basically it's, it's human emotions that affect consumer confidence. And ultimately these animal spirits, these, these emotions are what cause both in the investing world, the stock market to overshoot to the upside and to overshoot to the downside, right? We get these huge swings. Um, but that does also go into the economy themselves. And so it's not only the headlines, but it's talking with or hearing about, we talked about some of these layoffs in the tech company. When you hear that your neighbor was laid off or maybe a couple in some other competitors in the tech space or whatever, yes, you may tighten your belt and spend some more hours at, at your job maybe, but also, I think you may start to see if other people are tightening their belt economically and you're hearing about layoffs, you start to do it yourselves. Um, similarly with business, if you start to talk to other business leaders that are one either very optimistic or very pessimistic, generally you start to think that way as well. So if the if the recession headlines, if this recession concern starts to materialize, I do think it can have an effect on the economy. That's just naturally how human beings kind of, you know, we go with the herd, et cetera. There's all these different sayings. And so it does, um, it does, it does play a factor into the economy. 
I think the last thing uh, I, I would point out, you know, Brad and I both work on the retirement side of the of the business, and we would love everyone out there to save 15, 20% of their income into their 401k. That would be phenomenal. I would set them up for retirement. It would solve a lot of the challenges. The unfortunate reality, though, is if everybody in America did that, the economy would tank because there'd be so much less spending. And so it's kind of this, we need to get there over time, et cetera. And so again, it's it's this concept that once it gains momentum and more people do it, it can cause some challenges. Um, but exactly as Brad points out, I think you have to take every headline with a grain of salt and really not that not let those influence your decisions. Well, we certainly know what Bloomberg thinks, um, but but let's take a minute and break down our own crystal balls for you know what we can see this year or, or, or what we envision coming um, from a business perspective this year. Economic and business forecasting definitely isn't a binary exercise, right? There are many potential paths that we could take this year. Um, but Brad, let's start with you. If a severe recession isn't on the horizon, right? What do you think we should expect in the next 12 months? Do you think there's going to be kind of this strong growth and maybe a return to pre-COVID conditions? Or will this year look a lot more like last year? So, you know, kind of more economically mediocre, but definitely not catastrophic. What do you think? Uh, boy, I wish I I wish I knew this one for sure. I can tell you what I hope is going to happen. I hope that the, the the feds I, I think jerome powell has done what he's supposed to do i think he's done a fine job i think he's a very smart guy way smarter than me uh we had a problem inflation was the problem and but let's also go back and and if you if you just chop off these last three years and you go back to sort of 2018-19 the feds wanted inflation they were trying to get inflation up because that's the way out of our problems as a government, which is you either spend more. I'm sorry, you spend less, you make more or you inflate your way out of all of these government problems that we have of deficits and debt. Well, we know they're not going to spend less, never have, never will make more, they can tax us, right? That's that's possible. They're going to get more. They wanted to inflate their way out of our problem. If you have an asset that's worth $100 and you can inflate it and all of a sudden make it worth $200, you're in a better spot. Now you've got more equity, more assets. So they this is what they wanted. And then obviously they with the with COVID, it just got all blown out of out of proportion, out of control, couldn't control it anymore. So what I think is going to what what I would like to see happen is they came out, they're trying to squash demand, which, again, I don't think there's a demand problem. I think there's a supply problem, but they are squashing demand to a degree. But the moment that things start to get hairy again, I, I and, and I think Jerome has to be, you, you hear these terms, if for all of you out there listening, you hear on CNBC, hawks and doves. It, you know, it, when they say hawk, that means that he's just being tough, right? He doesn't, he can't let up yet. And he's being a dove, he's, he's being soft. Well, he has to be a hawk right now because what he can't have is the stock market 
to get the impression that they're about to stop raising rates because the moment that happens, the stock market's going to go straight up. The reason you can't have that happen right now is because that's going to put more money in everybody's pocket. That's going to make us all want to go out and spend more money. So he's got to keep prices low in the public markets by being at hawk while he squishes demand. But I think what I hope is that we get into next year. We're already in the last five inflation prints. When you when they publish inflation number, that seven or eight or nine percent that we've been seeing every month, there's a new number. And what happens is, is you chop off the number that occurred 12 months ago. So it's a trailing 12 number. Well, the numbers that we're chopping off from 12 months ago are 0 0.8, 0 0.9, 1.2. And right now we're printing 0 0.4, 0.3. Uh, I think we even had a zero maybe in July. So inflate, it's working. Inflation is coming down. And I think it won't be long until that we until we get that number we want. And I think Jerome is, is is going to be faced with one of two. And it's going to be at that point, he's going to have to make the decision of that soft landing word. You know, everybody wants soft land. Are we landing soft or do I need to like tap the brakes just a little bit, or I guess hit the accelerator in this instance, you know, and lower rates just a little bit. But I think we're set up. We're definitely closer to the end. There's no doubt about that. And all of these measures that have been put into place are working. I think that we're getting set up that, yes, we, we begin to take another run. It's just, when does it happen? Does it happen in the, in the first half of the year or the second half of the year? But I do think that we're getting close. And I think that this Fed and, and with the world that they have created for us is, I mean, look, I hate to say this, but any time that there is a major stressful point, they've come running. And they've they've thrown money at the problem, either throw money at it or reduce rates to allow us to throw our own money at it. And I don't think that this is going to be any different. If if they do push us slightly over that cliff, I think it's they're quick to respond. And now we actually do have room to lower rates to make money start flowing again. Uh, we didn't have that ability pre-COVID. That was that that was why they had to print dollars and hand them to people because they they had not raised rates up to that point. Which they that if you really want to go back and look at it, where their big fault was was not starting to raise rates in 2017, 18, and 19. They waited too long. And now we're where we are. But that's so I guess that's what I hope is going to happen. Well, you know, Michael, let, let's flip that and give you a little bit of a, a crystal ball moment as well in terms of what you're what, what you see happening over the next year or so. Is this kind of recession that you're arguing could potentially happen? You know, is that going to be as severe and long lasting as the Great Recession in, you know, 2007, 2009 timeframe? If not, do you think we should expect something a little more akin to, you know, the dot-com crash of the early 2000s? Or do you think it's going to be something kind of entirely different yeah. than some of these 
precedence. And, and, you know, to that point, with kind of all the dynamics that both of us or both of you have really talked about in terms of the labor force, do you think that these events have an effect on the labor shortage? Yeah, thanks, Jenny. And and I have a lot of hopes like Brad as well, but I, I also got to kind of look at the the facts where we're where we're heading. And first off, I think I want to acknowledge like, you know, we're here debating a recession, but the reality is any recession that occurs has real human impact. I think we all want to acknowledge that, whether that's those that are affected by layoffs or even, you know, especially if you're the one actually delivering the news, that can be very tough. So I think we all want to acknowledge that. Um, as we think about the reigns of recessions that you were mentioning, you know, the Great Depression, then kind of in the middle, you have this garden variety, and then you have these recessions that maybe barely register. So there's definitely a range of those. Um, for our base case is kind of, I, I look at it as, a garden variety recession is kind of slated in. I, I think when we look at the data and when we look at the where we're headed, when we look at the what the Fed has done, as Brad was talking about, um, I think that is likely on the table for 2023 this year. Couple of things on that. You talked about the labor market and had some questions about that. I would break the labor market really into two segments. So there's this one kind of non-specific skill segment. Um, that that really a lot of the help wanted signs are trying to get out there. Uh, you look at restaurants, et cetera, right? These are non-specific skills. You can quickly get someone trained and up to speed to do these type of jobs. So if you have a gar garden type recession, certainly those will start to fall off. We would expect um, some of the help wanted signs to come down as maybe restaurants don't need as many waitresses, et cetera. But those those type of jobs can or, or people filling those jobs can easily mo hopefully move over to other ones that are that are open. So, for example, let's say travel starts to slow down, business travel slows down, so there's less Ubers. Well, an Uber driver can say, "Hey, Uber's not working for me anymore. Let me go work at Costco." Right. So there's some there's some movement there, and I think while we would see some of that affected. Uh, if you look at the job openings versus the unemployed, there's still a wide gap. And so those would transition over, I think, a little bit smoother. However, the challenge will be more on the skilled labor, the specific type labor shortages. Um, we talked about the tech layoffs. Certainly, they could go to another tech company. But if that is industry-wide, that's a challenge. But in other areas, you're going to have there's a nursing shortage. That has nothing to do with the economy, right? And so we're still going to be struggling in some of those areas um, to fill those type of needs. Generational gaps, we talked about that, about auto mechanics earlier. Those those are going to be needed. Accidents happen. <laughs> so whether there's a recession or not, so those types will be needed. Um, and so I think some of those could hold up better. But again, I go back to if we do see in unemployment or layoffs spill out of the tech sector or even accelerate meaningfully in the tech sector, I do think that raises the red flags a little bit more. So what the question as, as we look at, again, our base case is garden, a garden variety type recession, and then there's the upside and the downside. Kind of as I look at it, it's a little bit more skewed to the downside risk. And so just a few things that can turn this garden variety recession into a more challenging recession. Number one, Look, geopolitical risk, everything going on with Russia and Ukraine, um, China, any of that situation, what happens over there certainly can spill over. And while we'd like to think the U.S. is isolated to some extent, uh, it's not. We, we are certainly affected by events that happen worldwide. The second thing to look out for is if inflation keeps throwing a tantrum. 
I think we've seen some good movement there recently, but there's certainly um, kind of, as Brad mentioned, some plus still some supply issues to work through. And if something happens to continue to really put a detrimental spin on, on suppliers, that could be uh, a challenge. Third is the acceleration of deglobalization. Globalization for the past three decades has been the disinflationary pressure. It really has. I mean, on a relative basis, we've been able to outsource food. We've been able to outsource clothes. We have outsourced so many things. Why? Because they are cheaper to make there. That's just the reality, right? So we we import those. And that's globalization worldwide. And there's certainly trade-offs with globalization. But in terms of keeping inflation down, number one driver of the past four or five decades. Well, everybody's rethinking their supply chains. Europe's got to source new energy. Um, You know, Apple just announced a few months ago, hey, we're actually going to buy chips out of these new factories in Arizona. Why? Because in 2020, when COVID hit, the chip factories were shut down overseas. Okay, well, then in 2021, we couldn't get chips either because the ships were all stranded in the ports. We couldn't get them shipped over. And so as companies rethink these supply chains, Again, really focused on what does that look like on a global nature? That's going to cause friction. And if that accelerates and companies start looking internally more and home basing those a little bit more, I think that's a challenge. And then finally, there's the unknown, right? Our economy, I won't say is super fragile, but it, as it sits today, is in a little bit of a fragile spot. And so there's an event. I mean, nobody saw COVID coming till it till it hit. Um, you could say, well, we saw Russia coming or not, but I don't think really the invasion component was really solved until it occurred. There's always some unknown event out there that could tip us in 2023. And those are some of the things that I really worry about. So base case, garden recession, I think skewed a little bit to the downside if some of these other factors kick in. Thank you, Michael. And guys, I have to say, this has been an excellent debate. I, you know, you've certainly given me a lot to think about, definitely our listeners quite a lot to think about. And as we start to wrap up today, I wanted to ask one last question and give you guys an opportunity to kind of make a closing statement and, and really kind of put the exclamation point on your case in terms of our date, uh, our debate today. But starting out with a question, and Brad, we'll start this one with you, um, regardless of which side of the debate you're falling on, right? How do you think employers should conduct themselves really in this climate where the future is really difficult to predict? So do you have any specific policy recommendations, anything around staffing, belt tightening, anything strategic, just kind of tactical decisions that we could um, or tactical kind of advice, I guess, that we could give to employers that are out there? Great question. Well, let me let me go back to my phrase. Should employers prepare for a recession. I think employers should prepare for a return to normalcy. We have had nothing close to normalcy over the last three years, up and down. Look at how your business looked in 2019, 18, 17. How did you operate then? Think about that and go back to those days. That's probably what you need to make your business look like in order to survive the next coming years. Now, you know, this is this uh, I had it sitting here and think this is probably the right time to show it. But when I talk to employees and employers, I have a prop that I like to show. And it's the front page of the business section newspaper. You remember you all remember what newspapers were? 
anybody ever read a newspaper? The actual the actual piece of paper. So this is 1991, January. Yes, I was alive. Was that still on your coffee table, Brad? Because I'm I'm guessing (laughs) it was. I'm going to tell you the story behind this. When I at Morgan Stanley, you know, I was in the bullpen and you finally graduate to you get your office. Well, the office that I got was this guy that was retiring and he was a complete hoarder of new, he, he got the Wall Street Journal every day and he put it in his office. And I had to throw away about 3000 Wall Street journals to clean that office out. And I and and I don't know how this one. Just, I mean, it was just fate. But this one jumped out at me and said, "Save me!" And so I use this all the time. But on the front page, it's January the sixth, nineteen ninety one. And on the very front page here, it says, "Focus on the recovery," and it says, "Taking stock of Wall Street." Five things that we need to consider when we're talking about the market. Now I know that this is stock market, but it is similar, right? So the five things that we need to think about if we're gonna invest money over the next 12 months. And I always get people, I say, tell me what some of the things are and they'll start guessing. Well, I'm I'm not gonna make you guess, Jenny, but I'll tell you what they are. The Middle East, the federal deficit, consumer confidence, interest rates, and inflation. That was printed 32 years ago. And, it, and and if you read this, when you're sitting there drinking your coffee, this was the Sunday paper, and you're like, huh, what should I do this coming year? Well, let me ask you this question, Jenny. Do you know what the Dow Jones Industrial Average was January the 6th? 1991. Not off the top of my head, Brad. 2,600. So you're up almost 12 times had you put money into the market right then and said, you know what, I'm not going to worry about what all the pundits say, what the Bloombergs say, or what anybody's going to say. I'm going to keep doing my thing and I'm going to move forward. The world's going to be great. We live in a great country. We always revert back to the mean. We're always going to have tough times. And yes, I would say that most business owners, most most of the people that we probably deal with, you know, we're not dealing with Meta and Google. We're dealing with Bob's whatever supply shop. And those people understand what what a dollar means. They understand how to spend that dollar and they understand how important employees are. And I think for the most part, people have done in the in what we would call the middle market um, that 100 employee to 200 300 employee business i think those people have done a pretty fair job up until this point and i think they should be patted on the back for doing a good job and i think that that these newspapers are um are, are scaring them and that we need to just keep moving forward because there is still plenty of demand out there I don't think the feds are going to crush us too bad. I do think they're going to get us back to normal. But life goes on, and I think we're all going to be just fine. Isn't it interesting how similar yet how different our world is, right? And that, that just kind of 30-year time span that we were just talking about. So, well, Michael, your thoughts. So, again, really just recommendations in terms of the the, the uncertainty, the, um, you know, we we don't know where we're going this year, right? Um, Recommendations around policy, staffing, if you, if you're making a, um, 
giving advice to our employers out there? What, what are your thoughts? Well, this is the question where I don't get, I don't get to be so pessimistic. I get to be optimistic. So I, I really am going to enjoy this question a, a little bit more, maybe. So, and again, Brad and I both come from a, an investing world and an, you know, in a retirement world, trying to get people to retirement. And in that case, you know, as a, as a plan sponsor, as a company, you're going to have people trying to retire into every economic scenario out there. So the mantra for investing is, look, prepare for everything, stay optimistic, et cetera, stay invested. And I think that does apply certainly to the business world as as well. I mean, the reality is, as Brad mentioned, yeah, at some point, maybe it's this year, maybe not, we don't know, but at some point there will be an economic contraction. It, they happen. It's a natural part of the business cycle. It's a return to normalcy, as Brad was pointing out. And I think you have to factor those time periods into your business plan. If this happens, then A. If it doesn't and something else happens, then B. So right, starting off with the plan, we always talk about plans on the investment side, having the business plan for all different economic scenarios, I think is step number one. And then also realizing, look, uncertainty and change creates opportunity. And so every time we go through these periods, you know, don't don't just ask, how can we defend ourselves? How can we tighten our belt, et cetera, et cetera. And that may be necessary, but also look at from a business perspective or from a staffing perspective, you're trying to bring people on, man, this is a time maybe we can go out and get great people, or maybe we can do some of this offensive play we haven't been able to do yet. Uh, because, you know, maybe all of a sudden demand drops or, or, or supply comes back on, et cetera, and you can kind of change your business model. So I'll, don't during uncertain economic times, just think about defense to the extent you can think about offense. Um, two final thoughts on the staffing, get creative. I'll just share a story. We were working with another company here. You know, we were had a really good relationship with the, the partner on the other side at the other company. She ended up retiring to take care of aging parents. So one of these stories we hear about leaving the workforce um, and her plan was originally to retire. Well, we, we had a great relationship with her. Uh, we reached out to her um, and we asked her, hey, would you be interested in coming on to work with some of our clients part time, remotely, et cetera? And so this and, and she accepted and it's it's been great. She's phenomenal. Um, I think the working situation is working well for both sides, her and us as a business. And so those are the type of things I think get creative and keep, you know, looking out beyond the immediate uh, maybe talent pool for where you could draw in top talent on the staffing side um, and be willing to get creative because some of those situations you you can uh, work to your advantage. And then on on finally on the business side, this is probably true at all times, but really, uh, especially during times of, of chat economic uh, contraction or challenge, so to speak, is when you think about projects, um, new endeavors, be sure to tackle the monkeys and not the pedestals. And so let me kind of tell you what that means. Let's say this isn't, I didn't come up with this, but I thought it was very informative. Let's say there was a, you had the challenge of teaching a monkey to quote Shakespeare on top of a pedestal that kind of looked like, you know, one of those old, um, you know, Roman or Greek type pedestals, right? So you've got to create the pedestal and then you've got to train the monkey to quote Shakespeare. Well, which one do you tackle first? You tackle the monkey first because you don't want to waste the resources and time building the pedestal, which you know you can do. We can build the pedestal. We can get there. You tackle the hard one because then you can make it a business decision on whether, yes, we should continue with this because we can train the monkey 
or you'll quickly find out, no, this is not worth it. Let's drop the monkey and you don't waste time and resources building the pedestal. So put all those together and those are kind of my advice or what my thoughts are in terms of uh, how to tackle some, some economic uncertainty times. Well, and really what I'm hearing from both of you, and I think what we would what we would say to our clients out there is the importance of business agility, right? Regardless of the economic uncertainty. But uh, Brad, Michael, thank you. This has been wonderful. You know, you guys have been great. And I think really now what you've done is you've argued, argued your point so well, it's up to our listeners to decide. Should employers be battening down the hatches in anticipation of a severe downturn? Or will this year be a better business environment than the doomsayers would have you believe? As a reminder, One Digital is your one-stop shop for workforce management expertise. We're here to support your business, provide strategic suggestions, and empower your employees. Thank you for listening, and we hope to catch you again for future episodes.